This is Life Invented. Invent the life you want to lead. Invent the life you want to lead. Be creative. Be challenged. Be the solution. Go Broncos. Welcome to the Life Invented podcast presented by Santa Clara University. From campus life to what it means to learn in the Silicon Valley, we explore how to be a global citizen in an era of change. This is Life Invented. Some of us old enough to recall can remember a time when cherry fields across the valley ruled the land before the Silicon Valley became one of the most popular places on this earth. And in addition to the self-made millionaires, tech IPO billionaires, and news of expensive living, there is a growing community of entrepreneurs that are looking beyond the profit margin and are constructing business models on a mission. It's a beautiful day in Santa Clara, and on this episode of Life Invented, we're chatting with the director of the Global Social Benefit Fellowship Program, along with one of its fellows who is a senior and economics major at Santa Clara University. Ever wonder what it's like to participate in a competitive program that allows you to work on global challenges in a country you may not have been to before? And get to hone your craft as a social entrepreneur? (laughs) Yeah, us too. Let's go. All right, gentlemen, thanks for joining us. We'd love to have you introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background or as we like to request, please dish your deets. Keith, let's start with you. My name is Keith Warner. I'm the Senior Director for Education and Action Research at the Miller Center for Social Entrepreneurship here at Santa Clara. I get to work with students every day to help them think about the intersection of social entrepreneurship and uh, making a change in the world. I am a California native. And so my passion is creating learning opportunities for students where they can understand social entrepreneurship at a visceral, personal level through direct contact with the poor and working on innovative change-making strategies. My name's Aidan O'Neill. I'm class of 2017. I am a fellow for the Global Social Benefit Fellowship from this last summer. So I, I love writing. I'm also a, an ambassador at this admissions office. So I love giving tours, uh, talking to prospective students about um, what they're looking for in colleges. But uh, yeah. In the last few decades here in the Bay Area and in Silicon Valley, uh, for the most part, entrepreneurship and its culture has been thought of mostly in like, you know, self-made millionaires, tech billionaires and expensive living Uh, In the midst of all of this, what is social entrepreneurship and why has it gained so much attention as of late? Social entrepreneurship is using business strategies to create positive change in the world. And Santa Clara and the Silicon Valley is a great place for that because we're able to draw on the dynamism, the innovation, the creativity, the vision of Silicon Valley, but apply that to the world's greatest needs where there are situations of very serious and sustained poverty and environmental degradation. Well, I think it's interesting because here at Santa Clara, we're obviously here to get an education and succeed. And we we chose this place for a reason. You know, we are in the heart of the Silicon Valley here, but it's also a Jesuit school that um, imparts on us a lot of the values of being a man or woman for others, um, you know, having a heart of service and, and educating the whole person. Um, so it's really a good, a great blend of both those principles and then just the, the practicality and um, the ambition, the desire to succeed um, that is present here in the Valley. And I think it also plays into the average age of the people that are here. You know, all the research on millennials is showing that, you know, they, they don't just care about 
how much money a business makes, what the return on investment is going to be. They also want to see the social return on investment. Um, so that's really opened the door um, for a lot of social enterprises to get that funding early on because people here in the Valley that are, that are concerned about um, entrepreneurship in the traditional sense also see a huge avenue for social entrepreneurship as well in a place of the same interest. It covers over 70% of the earth, but over 700 million people lack safe access to it, water. According to water.org, 3.4 million people die each year as a result of unclean water, poor sanitation, and bad hygiene. In Latin America, one country is especially troubled by this water crisis. Nicaragua is among the poorest countries in Central America. And while efforts since 2010 have put many in urban areas closer to better water sources, much of the rural population still lives without it. So there's another uh, two-word phrase that has gained prominence, and that is climate justice. How does social entrepreneurship and climate justice work together, especially in the case of uh, the Miller Center for Social Entrepreneurship and what you guys focus so much on. One of our primary focal areas is on fostering climate resilience. So using innovative business strategies to help organizations and communities respond to the stress of climate change, which is affecting the world's poor much more than us and here in the United States, and especially rural communities and farmers. And so a simple example of uh, where that stress uh, results is in uh, water shortages and water extremes. So we're seeing more uh, rainfall, more intense rainfall here, as well as alternating with droughts. That's even more serious in places like Central America or Africa that don't have the same kind of infrastructure that we do. Social entrepreneurship is able to put tools in the hands of local communities to help them be able to withstand those stresses and provide those kinds of resources to their members of those communities. So that's the perfect example of uh, what I was doing this last summer. Me and two other students, an environmental sciences major and a public health major, the three of us went to Nicaragua, which is part of the Central American Dry Corridor, um, one of the five countries in Central America that's been really affected by water shortages and water contamination as well. So the traditional water supplies there have been contaminated by rising temperatures, by drought, um, which is also affecting their livelihoods because it's a highly agricultural area. So what we were there to to do is to try and find a social entrepreneurial solution to the problem that they faced with having contaminated water, contaminated drinking water. The three of us went there and basically tried to determine what it was they were doing to decontaminate their water currently, which had a high variance. Um, a lot of times people just drank straight from the contaminated water and just hoped that their stomachs would keep up with it. Some communities had uh, kind of filtration systems that did a little bit, not nearly enough to meet the World Health Organization standards, but that at least made it a little bit better. Some people in more urban areas were able to have uh, kind of an underground chemical filtration system. But what we did is interviewed people to try and figure out what it was that, that they wanted to see. And the result of our research was that uh, what they wanted and what we would be able to bring them is in-home water filters that would help them uh, filter their water in the house. So I really like Aiden's project because what it did was it is it looked at pathways to accessing clean water and that's really what social entrepreneurship does. For p communities that are cut out of um, just the basic goods and services that an economy should provide, social entrepreneurship opens the doors of opportunity and allows people to create their own futures. 
how do you connect that assessment with what's going on in the community uh, and, and couple that with a business proposition and, and what kind of business comes out of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's a great question because that's what essentially we're trying to figure out the whole time. The biggest part of our research project was what's called a community needs assessment. Um, so that was kind of the main focus of the interview is determining what problems actually exist right now because a lot of times we get kind of like a bird's eye view and we can kind of assume what issues people are facing in rural communities. So when you're there with them, talking to them, you can really kind of strip all of that away. But we spent a lot of time there talking to both the employees of the nonprofit, employees of other nonprofit organizations that dealt with water um, that were in the country, and then with members of the community, what issues is water causing for you and your family, and then um, what would you like to see? We already had an idea for water filtration of some kind, um, but we didn't know what form that would take, so it was basically trying to figure out how would this fit into people's lives, also what would they be able to afford, what would they be willing to pay, what would they be able to pay, things like so that. So you did, you did a ton of market research and analysis, thought about a value proposition, and uh, so so where do you land at this point? Uh, you know, what what's what's the pitch? Yeah. So our final deliverable to Asdanique, the nonprofit we worked with, was basically a recommendation that their nonprofit launch a subsidiary organization that is technically for profit. So a social enterprise that's still focused on bringing clean water at an affordable price. So what we recommended is that this subsidiary organization becomes a distributor of in-home water filters. There are suppliers in the country keeping this business in the country was important to um, members of Asanique, specifically Raul, who was basically the CEO of the nonprofit. They have great working relationships with these communities already. They they work to um, bring the water to a lower contamination level already through chlorination. So they've kind of already gotten their foot in the door for that. We're hoping that they kind of expand on those relationships with a new subsidiary. And part of our job at Miller Center then is to introduce investors to this local nonprofit that we we propose start this for-profit spinoff or subsidiary. And impact investors are looking to take their investment capital but invest it in um, making good in the world as well as getting the return on their investment. And so we know of a couple that might be interested in helping start this. And so uh, being able to take that dynamism that we breathe and and live here in Silicon Valley and find ways to share it and provide roadmaps for others to be able to recreate that in their local communities as they struggle with these very significant human challenges. That's what's exciting about the work that we get to do together. Gentlemen, the world is an interesting place right now and needs lots more people working to do more good. What role can social entrepreneurs play in offsetting climate change naysayers and current policymakers who seem uninterested in saving our planet? As part of our mission at Santa Clara, we want to foster global understanding and engagement. It's part of our DNA. We trace it back to the origins of Jesuit education because we believe in the common good and we believe that everyone on the planet should have access to the basics that they need. And in fact, there are plenty of resources for everyone if we learned how to share them and how to create them. And so I think that a lot of the climate change deniers and the people who stick their head in the sand or who say this is a problem and that we don't have to address are really avoiding um, reality 
We can do that to a certain extent here from the United States, but it's not possible in places like Asia, Africa, and Latin America, where climate change is very evidently going on. And if if someone is a farmer or working in a rural community, it's it's very clear what's happening. Um, the present day is not like the past, and the future is going to be even more disrupted. Denial and despair are really of no use, and they're, frankly, equally of no use. What we need are creative solutions, and people who are going to look at a really, really big problem and say, that's an opportunity. Yeah, as far as what you said about the current climate of today's government, I think that the tone of social entrepreneurship has changed, but the purpose has not. So it may now seem like it's a little bit more rebellious of a movement than kind of being like the poster children of the next generation. That's definitely a shift, but it doesn't change the work that needs to be done. One of the greatest things about it is that it is not dependent on the public sector. It's changed from the private sector, from the last sector that people would expect it to come from. They always expect these changes to come from the government or from the nonprofit area. This is the private sector that's doing this. So there's a lot of freedom. Uh, while it may make things a lot more difficult, it's still independent of what's happening here in, in our government. Aiden, when you explain, you know, what you do through this program to your, your family and friends at home, like, do they get it? Yeah, it's a lot of times kind of difficult to explain what uh, the fellowship is because it's so unique to Santa Clara. Um, it's not something that you would expect to be able to do as an undergraduate student. It's just an opportunity you don't um, see a lot of the time. So explaining the fellowship is in that way exciting, but very kind of challenging to just impart on them how um, how cool it is, how great of an opportunity it is. But yeah, it, it's it's fostered a lot of great conversations um, with other students, and it fits in really well with kind of the overall Santa Clara experience. I think it's significant that your team included yourself, an econ student, plus a public health science student and an environmental science student. So talk a little bit about how those students from non-business backgrounds were able to engage in the entrepreneurial dimension of this. Those three areas of study were really the three different dimensions of the project. So uh, there was obviously the the business component. We are trying to start a business. Um, We are trying to foster entrepreneurship. Um, But then there's clearly also the public health aspect. Um, People are drinking contaminated water. And then there's the environmental aspect. So coming at it from those three different angles as a team, we've created a a great synergy there of like we're more than um, the sum of those three different areas of study. They come together to form the complete picture. So each of us had our own area of expertise, um, but spending a lot of time together, we were able to kind of like meld minds over those uh, couple months. And then even when we got back to campus, kind of create that same dynamic. Mind melding for good. I love it. Uh, And, you know, that's what really most successful teams would say is the key to success, right? Diverse people with diverse thinking coming together to work on a single problem. Aiden, when you all were together in this new country trying to solve this big critical problem, uh, what was your guys' process to thinking through the challenges and and the opportunities of, of your idea and your business model? There was a lot of times, you know, we, we'd, we'd do our community visit, uh, we'd get back to um, the hostel where we were staying, um, and we'd be talking about kind of what we saw that day, 
and we'd each talk about something different. I'd talk about, you know, what people's living conditions were, like what um, I saw in their homes, like, oh, they paid for a TV, that's an appliance, so then maybe they could pay for like a water filter, that's another appliance. And then Elia, the environmental sciences uh, major, would talk about the water, you know, there was only one community where there was any water source there. And she'd also be talking about like how many different spouts there were, things like that. Um, and then David would be talking about just whether they looked healthy or not. After a while, we stopped kind of having those roles and each of us were kind of like, we took each other's spots. So Elia would, I remember very clearly her saying, oh, I saw satellite dishes on people's homes. Um, Or she also said one time that uh, there was like a mom that looked sick or something like, you know, that that kind of thing where you start taking each other's roles because you're used to each other's thinking. They're seeing it from different perspectives. Cool. Um, Aiden, how, how was this trip and this just entire project really changed you and how you view potential career paths? So I definitely think that this experience shaped how I think about my career path as far as um, beforehand, I'd been thinking, you know, I could get right out of Silicon Valley right as I graduate, uh, just go to a developing country and start working with, you know, a social enterprise or something like that. Um, this experience showed me that you might want to become good at something first. Um, so get training um, from, you know, a consulting company, a tech company, something like that. Go back to school, you know, basically have an area of expertise and then go abroad. Um, basically, it showed me that I wasn't quite ready for that, but it, that is definitely something that I want to keep as a theme of my career. Well, we wish you luck, sir. And uh, I'm sure in the decades to come, you'll look back at this experience as a pivotal one. As you know from just four years ago, young men and women all over the world have to make a decision about which college to go to, just as you did. And, you know, they potentially want to live the type of experiences that you have. What advice do you have for them, uh, you know, at that moment of decision? I would say that for me personally, I was considering a lot of statistics. I would say definitely look at those numbers, but then kind of put them in the back of your mind and then just imagine yourself, you know, walking around with a backpack on on the campus. Imagine yourself waking up there every morning. Don't just imagine yourself in the classroom because that's the easiest thing to do. Imagine graduating and looking for a job in the area and maybe setting down uh, a couple routes there. Um, so just Imagine kind of the whole picture because four years is a long time and you're going to spend, it's going to be um, almost a fifth of your life by the time you're done. So just kind of imagine everything else, kind of you're, you're getting the whole package there. Great advice. Not getting stuck in all the stats, but really just envisioning yourself in, in yeah, you know, like you said, uh, you know, what you're called your second home and possibly the place that you will live for for years afterwards. Gentlemen, thanks again uh, for your time with us here on Life Invented. The world needs more Miller Center for Social Entrepreneurship fellows in it. Aiden, good luck on graduation and beyond. And Keith, thanks, man. Thanks for continuing to produce the world's next great social entrepreneurs. Thanks, y'all. Thank you, Jay. Jay, good stuff. My name is Eddie Kalinsky, and I am the Assistant Director for Undergraduate Admission, and I invite you to invent the life you want to lead, and go Broncos. You've just listened to the Life Invented Podcast, presented by Santa Clara University, and there's so much more to explore. Visit us at scu.edu slash podcasts, and learn more about Santa Clara's commitment to innovation and inspiring opportunities.